millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello. Welcome back to another archaeogastronomical adventure of the Delicious Legacy. I'm your host, Thomas Dinas, and today we're going to go to medieval England. I'm really happy to say that for this episode, I've interviewed Dr. Christopher Monk, who is uh, writing a very exciting book about the form of curry, which is a 13th century cookbook from the kitchens of Richard II. So yeah, a really, really exciting episode. Um, I'm really excited about this interview because we're talking about all sorts of um, interesting um, recipes from uh, from the me- medieval period and um, the use of um, all these uh, new exciting spices from uh, the Far East and that a new exciting thing called sugar. And of course, we'll see many, many interesting facts about popular misconceptions and myths about um, the medieval period and so on. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the newest episode of our archaeogastronomical adventures. Thank you. Are you as tired and disappointed as I am with the great British summer this year? Do you need your holiday fix of sea, sunshine and Greek island food? Well, aside from mourning a lot, I can help you a little with some delightful and fresh Greek produce from Malby and Greek, the one-stop shop for your Greek fix. The best feta cheese you ever tasted, probably inside Greece as well as outside. The delicious extra virgin olive oil, the fat, meaty olives, as well as the most refreshing white and big, bold red wines Greece has to offer from all over the wild corners of the country. And of course, working directly with small artisan producers. Malbin Greek, UK's leading Greek delicatessen, supplier and distributor, has you covered. You can shop online and have the exquisite goods delivered to your doorstep across the UK, or you can visit the shop at Arch 17, Apollo Business Park, Lucy Way, SE16 for ET, Bermondsey, London. And of course, I'm here to help you even further with your Greek fix by giving to all listeners of the podcast a 15% discount if you go to malbingreek.com forward slash delicious, then you can get a 15% discount off your next purchase. So go to the website www.malbingreek.com forward slash delicious and then shop as you would normally do and you get a 15% discount off your next purchase. Malby and Greek, the one-stop shop for your Greek fix. 
Welcome uh, to the Delicious Legacy podcast, uh, Dr. Christopher Moore. Oh, thank you. Well, it's nice of you to invite me. Um, and um, yeah, we. I would love if you tell us a little bit about yourself to start with. What would you like to know? Sort of my background in... Your background, first of all. Uh, so what do you do in your background? Right, and so... How did you end up to the medieval uh, Marmite, basically? <laughs> well, um, I actually work as a consultant. Um, yeah, I work as a consultant in um, either the heritage sector or with creatives. And I'm usually advising them on things to do with uh, medieval culture and medieval um, art sometimes, medieval uh, literature. But a lot of it's to do with uh, medieval manuscripts as well. So yeah. that's kind of what I do as a job. And um, I've been doing that since about 20, 2014, 2013. Yeah. I used to uh, teach at university, at the University of Manchester, where I, I, I studied for my PhD there and, and got that in 2012. And while I was, towards the end of while I was studying and for a couple of years afterwards, I, I lectured there um, on various medieval things. And then I decided I didn't want to pursue a career, an academic career or a career within academia. I just wanted to do something a bit more uh, me, I suppose. And that led to me getting involved in the work I just described as a yeah. consultant. So that's kind of where I am at the moment. And, uh, and and I've done quite a lot of work for Rochester Cathedral, and that's ongoing, Yeah, where we've worked with a particular manuscript, or actually two manuscripts, but one of them is particularly important. Nationally, it's very important, or internationally, it's very important, the Textus Refensus. So I've been helping them understand at the, at the cathedral Uh, what's actually in the manuscript and what's significant about it. And we've done a lot of, quite a lot of work on that and some multimedia stuff, which has been good fun. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Brilliant. All sounds very interesting stuff, you know. Uh, so basically... <laughs> if, you're in, if you're interested in medieval things, then yes, it of is. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's... Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> if you're not, then maybe you're listening uh, uh, to the wrong podcast. Yeah, I, I don't suppose, know. yes, if you, don't, if you don't like historical stuff, yeah, maybe it's the wrong podcast for you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. And of course, uh, I suppose you love food as well. <laughs> I do love food, yes. And if you could see my waistline, you'd... you'd <laughs> You'd have worked that one out by now, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I've, uh, yeah, I've always liked food. Yeah, I mean, I suppose uh, languages and all that stuff. If you, if you're translating medieval uh, manuscripts and yeah, so on, I, right? I think this all kind of, to be honest, when I was at school, I, I was, you know, I was a pretty decent student, but I left when I was, you know, before I turned. 16 so mm. i did my o levels and that was it and so i came back to education much later on when i was in my 30s oh wow okay. and so i didn't um i had to do a, a kind of pre-course to get on a degree course so i did a an access to higher education mm. course which involved look i studied english and history and uh, and law and it i did for that So that got me onto a course at Manchester University where I was studying English. And on that course, there was quite a lot of stuff, medieval stuff, uh, so medieval texts that we had to look at. Mm. And then that led to further study because I, I really focused a lot on the old English, so that's pre-conquest 
English. Yeah. So before 1066, although obviously the language goes beyond that, but that's kind of the very crude, arbitrary division that we give it. Yeah. Yeah. So I studied Old English, and um, and then I started looking in my master's degree, and then into my PhD. I was looking. Uh, it was more varied. It wasn't just the literature. I was looking at at mm. uh, manuscript art and and actually handling manuscripts in my PhD, especially and. Where I was at Manchester, they have a really good library there, so I was able to look at some manuscripts there too. And I had to go to various places to check the manuscripts I was working on for my PhD. And so there was, which were actually priests' uh, handbooks of penance. So there was nothing, nothing particularly literary about them. So I'd moved yeah. away from literature, as it were, to kind of more, uh, I suppose, we could call them historical documents. I see. Uh, but I had to look at them as well in the manuscript form. And mm. the other stuff I was looking at were, were manuscripts in the British Library, which were biblical um, narrative art manuscripts. So they had the text, but the text of the Bible, so this is the Old Testament, they were illustrated or they were accompanied by illustrations. Uh, mm-hmm. The illustrations are really uh, there first and then, um, you know, they're paramount, really, when you look at it. But the the text, obviously, and the illustrations had a relationship. And I was looking at that and and other things as well. Although mostly with those manuscripts, they were too too precious to allow me to look at them physically. So I had to use digital um, facsimiles. Digital yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Which is how I mostly do my work now. Even if I do get my hands literally on a manuscript, yeah, such as. The one I'm looking at at the moment in my my own research, Form of Curry, which is a book of cookery from the 14th century. I know I've looked at that, and uh, I can go back and look at it. But I, from on a day-to-day basis, I'm looking at it through uh, via a facsimile on the Manchester University website. Yeah, of course. Yeah, you, you don't want to touch that precious ancient manuscript every day. <laughs> Maybe, well, I don't know, I'd like to, but, yeah, but, maybe but yeah, you have to be, you, you do have to kind of, certain manuscripts, you know, they're too fragile to handle, mm. and others are, yeah. you know, you, you don't want somebody fingering them every day, as it were. Yeah, 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 definitely. Um, so, yeah, you started, you started finding uh, food-related um, things yeah, in this, the manuscripts? Yeah, this was, this was about two years ago. Um, I was kind of not, I was actually not that well at the time. So I think I wanted to get, I was just browsing and having a look at the, um, this manuscript called Form of Curry on the website. Um, I I knew about it and just so that your audience know Form of Curry, that means um, literally method of cookery. It's nothing to do with Indian spice food. It's yeah. the, The word form means method, that kind of thing. And yeah. curry means cookery. I suppose idiomatically you'd say it means how to cook. And this was a this was an official uh, cookery treatise that was written for Richard II of England, um, mm-hmm. and was probably we can date it to approximately 1390. And the manuscript that's in the John Rylands Library in Manchester, which is my where I live, Manchester, that's the, yeah. the best. Um, version of the manuscript is the oldest and the most reliable and the most um, 
textually reliable. But also it is a book in its own right. It was set out to have these 194 recipes. And uh, it was fantastic being able to, to see it in a facsimile form online and suddenly realize that, oh, this is really quite easy for me with some ex- with some background experience of reading earlier manuscripts. I, w- I find yeah. I was surprised that I could pick this up very easily and read it and, and and translate it sort of more or less without yeah. having to stop. And that was that's always nice because very often when you look at manuscripts and you're trying to read them, it can be very difficult working out what it actually says, absolutely. you know, because of the, yeah, yeah, the way the scribe writes. But uh, yeah. yeah, so that's, that, yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. that's when it happened a couple of years ago. So until about two years ago, I was basically not working in the area of uh, food history, but now I've had mm. to rapidly learn my stuff and um, get to know other people's works and studies and, and build on Excellent. that really. And, yeah. uh, and now yeah. that's, that's the kind of focus of what I'm doing in mm-hmm. my, uh, my, my own work, my own research outside of the consultancy work that I do. Yeah. Of, yeah. Great, great. Of course, I know the form of curry. I've, I've heard of it and I've read some recipes translated, of course, because I don't read. Middle English. Yeah. yeah. Middle English, yes. <laughs> it's not my forte. Um, I, reckon I, could, I, I reckon I could show you. Wouldn't, wouldn't you know, once you get your eye in on a manuscript and work out mm. what the letter forms are, you start to recognize the words. Uh, you've yeah. obviously got an issue with vocabulary because you know word the meanings of words have changed to some some degree, and the way these um, quite often there'll be abbreviations in a manuscript, less so in Middle English manuscripts. I see certainly yeah. a lot of abbreviations in Latin manuscripts. Um, uh-huh. But yeah, you, you'd, and, you'd get your yeah. once you got your eye in and started to build up your vocabulary, you'd be surprised what you'd pick up. I reckon you'd be very good. Mm, mm. <laughs> Great. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I already obviously translated uh, versions of the, of some recipes, I think, at the British Library's website, right, if I'm not right. mistaken. Yeah. And, of course, uh, so, yeah, I've heard of the book a little bit uh, and read a bit about it, and it's fascinating to see the recipes uh, that they do sound they do sound very interesting and, yeah, in a way, familiar. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yes, I mean, they're, they're not... Um, I mean, form of curry as a book, the one in the Rylands, and then these later versions of it, yeah. uh, which are more or less the same, but they're they're not quite the same. There's a there's quite a lot of um, accretion that goes on, and recipes get switched around, and so the other versions are kind of very loosely we can term we can call them copies of form of curry. But the one that's in the Rylands, mm. and then there's a couple that are in the British Library that, as I said, are later. You know, this is a an original collection, but the recipes themselves are influenced by earlier collections. Um, they're not necessarily yeah. direct copies, but some of these recipes that you read in form of curry have already been around for 100, 200 years, maybe longer. Um, so it's not mm. the it's not the oldest. It's very quite often for some reason. And I think I did it myself when I first started um, blogging about this form of curry. It's often called the oldest English recipe book, and it isn't the oldest English recipe book. There are older. Which um, one is well, them? we have a couple of collections that survive in uh, compilation manuscripts. So they don't survive as a book, as the Rylands yeah. copy isn't. 
an an an, uh-huh. an in, a sort of independent individual rather an individual book in itself it is a codex and a very small little thing that fits on your palm of your hands whereas these other collections that i'm about to refer to they're actually inserted into compilations of including other types of texts and the these two are actually they are english um they date back to the probably the end of the 13th century and the beginning of the 13th century and they're not written in english but they are english they're written in anglo-norman mm-hmm. which is the french uh, language that was spoken yeah. after the norman conquest uh, so it, it yeah. differs somewhat or evolves separately from the french language though you know it's very similar uh, mm-hmm. but yeah so they're, they're actually older so in in the case of one of them, which is in, um, they're both in British Library manuscripts, but in the case of uh, one that's in a manuscript called Additional 32085, beautiful title, that's uh, that's over 100 years older than the form of Curry. And uh, then there are translations of both of those French Anglo-Norman texts get translated into an English collection which includes some other recipes as well. That there doesn't seem to be a source, yeah. and um, they are actually also older than form of curry. And then there's another collection that's just possibly a little bit older than form of curry. So there are four four texts you could say that are that are English, as in of England, and that predate yeah. form of curry. But form of curry is up to that time, it's the biggest, the largest collection, significantly larger than the ones before, and it's, and it was f- formerly a uh, book of Richard II, and that's what it says in the, in the opening, in the introduction yeah. to the John Ryland's li- uh, library version. Uh, that actually says, you know, this is a, a copy or. Um, hard copy an official document is really what the latin word means copia so it's an official document of richard ii and it was produced by his um his uh, chief cooks Mm. so what was the purpose of this book then it was the the purpose was to document the recipes or to instruct cooks around the royal palaces i suppose that's open to interpretation well it is open to interpretation the way i look at that is that it can be both those things it's it's certainly a drawing together of recipes from uh, we don't know how many of richard's cooks brought this together but there's certainly more than one and certainly the scribes that write this down that are listening to the cooks as they narrate these recipes or they are copying from uh, copies that have been passed to them by these uh, chief cooks to the scribes. Um, There certainly is more than one cook, and there's certainly more than one scribe, because the handwriting changes throughout the book. Mm. So, yes, it's an exercise in compiling existing um, recipes, and Richard was known as a sort of a gourmand. Uh, He was... He was into his food. He was, you know, he was kind of quite flashy in mm. lots of ways, with his perhaps with his <laughs> clothes and stuff like that. And he was quite—he was a very wealthy king. And even though they had probably financial problems during his reign and before and after as well, but he still had a lot of personal wealth. And 
So part of it is about him having uh, his own cookery treatise, I suppose. But part of it's very practical yeah. as well. I mean, I think it's very interesting that the the John Ryland's copy, which is contemporary with Richard II, so it's the only one that's of the versions of the John of the form of curry that we can say for sure was written during his reign. Um, that um, because of the size of it, the smallness of it, you can see how handy, quite literally, how handy this particular volume <laughs> is. And it wouldn't, yeah. I don't think there's any evidence to say that it would have been in the kitchen, so to speak, you know, how we would use a cookery yeah. book today. But it would have been available yeah. to the cooks to refer to as a reference book. And so Richard's, the sort of person that was responsible for the kitchens and overseeing all of that, um, they would be expected to communicate with the cooks wherever Richard may have been, because you have to remember that the courts moved around. They didn't just stay in, in one uh, place. They moved to various palaces or castles or whatever. And you could imagine mm. that in each of these areas, there may be a, a book, a form of curry, and in, which may explain where some of the, yeah, the differences sure. start to appear um, in later versions, because there'll be some you know, add, add a few recipes here, or well, we don't want this one anymore. So to answer your question more concisely, yes, it was about compiling recipes, yeah. <laughs> but also it was about, it was practical too. Um, I, mm, I would, mm, mm. that's my personal opinion. And I think <clears> it's, <throat> I think it's a valid one. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas right. if you look, if you, I was going to say, as a, as a contrast, if you look at the more famous copy of Form of Curry, which is in the British Library and is in, is yeah. in a roll form. So it, it's mm -hmm. not in codex form. It's not a book. It's a, something you have to roll out. Um, that's much bigger, and I, I think the reason that that was copied was not to be. It was not particularly practical. It was just a record, mm -hmm. a record of a previous king, because when it was done was actually a couple of decades or more after Richard had died. So it was done, yeah, probably okay. done during Henry the um, Henry the Fifth's reign, who had who oh. had a connection, a personal connection to Richard. Um, Richard kind of looked after okay. Henry Henry V when he was a, a young boy and knighted him while his father was in exile. So I think probably Henry V wanted to show some kind of regard and respect for, for Richard II and wanted to bring him back into um, good repute. I mean, he'd had a yeah. bad reputation during <laughs> Henry IV's reign. And uh, so I think one way of doing it was to have his cookery book put into a roll a scroll and i think that's quite different from the little tiny book that we see in the john rylands library yeah so in terms of uh, recipes and ingredients from the form of curry yeah. um, what is what what does stand out for you Ooh, what stands out what individual what, recipes or ge more generally uh, yeah uh, more generally i suppose what's i think spice <laughs> the amount of spices yeah. that are used um, in the recipes and quite a lot of, a lot yeah, more fair amount yeah. of sugar as well, which what's interesting is that people, well, it's understandable. If we think of sugar going into a recipe, we immediately think, oh, it's something that's sweet. But by mm. by and large, most of, there are 
deliberately overtly sweet dishes in form of curry but not that many most of the ones that contain mm-hmm. sugar sugar is being used uh, as a spice it's one of the spices that they had mm. and it was used as a counterpoint to enhance other spices or maybe as a counterpoint to salt sometimes i think as well yeah okay but yeah that's the 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 range of spices is completely surprised me i had no idea until a couple of years ago uh, when i started doing looking into this food history uh the things that you could that were being regularly used in elite cuisine so you had pepper and black pepper and uh, which was eventually becomes quite common really but it was expensive back then in the 14th yeah. century but then you start to get things like long pepper you get cubebs which are a type of have a type of peppery flavor to them you've got um an awful lot of saffron being used i did i did calculate how many of the 194 recipes had saffron and i think it was 40 about 40 percent which is like you know they're basically just wow. throwing okay. saffron into every almost everything and i and i do think with saffron that's just about quite often i mean it obviously does have its own distinctive uh, flavor profile saffron and it was yeah quite often used as a food colorant and it states that in the in some of the recipes yeah, of course of course it's the coloring yes and also suppose but some of the time i just some of the times i think they, some yeah. of the time they just they just put it in there because it was the elite spice to put in and you know exactly um, yeah 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 just because yeah it's a yeah I, I think so yeah something yeah. expensive extravagant yeah other spices yeah, they course. had ginger and uh, galangal which you know I'd, I'd, I'd probably heard of galangal two years ago really? but i had no idea yeah. what it was but you know they, they appear and uh, there's various other ones as well that that are in there is I, mm. i can't remember how many different spices there are altogether but it's i think it gets into double figures oh yeah they're made yeah 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 it's just very interesting to see that they use ginger and pepper and cinnamon for sure this stuff and yeah cinnamon yes or canal as they called it they had um uh, it's quite difficult to work this out and i think it's only just uh like in the last few months it's become clearer to me there is they have cinnamon in two forms so they've got um powdered Uh cinnamon and then they have cinnamon buds which I'd never heard of, even though, you know, I've enjoyed cooking for 30, yeah. 40 years probably now. Um, yeah, I'd never heard <laughs> of cinnamon buds, but they are, they're from the same plant and uh, they do appear in a form of curry and other recipes. What's quite difficult to understand that that's what's being spoken about is the fact that the word for mm-hmm. them is, they use the word fleur, which is yeah. means both flour and flour and as in flour the stuff from you know that you make bread with oh, and then yes, fun, flour yeah, so yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know that's one of the difficulties of translating things so it took me a while to realize that that though that there was a distinction being made and i ah. think um <laughs> you know people people have done previous studies like constance hyatt i think she kind of worked that out that that we're talking about cinnamon Mm. buds probably she wasn't sure at first but then she becomes more sure in some of her later work so yeah they had some things that we don't really see in the in our supermarkets anymore no yes yeah fascinating yeah exactly (laughs) and so yeah that's that's what the thing that really stood out to me then the amount of spice they use yeah yeah completely different from uh the later like i don't know 19th 20th century co- 
books, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> well, it gets very dull, doesn't it? A bit. Yeah, I yeah. Think, really, and uh, and bland, perhaps. And you know, and and during the twentieth century, you know, you're influenced by well, foods in in Britain anyway. Were influenced by the war and having to cut back on things, and so things became. Yeah. Yeah, true. More basic, and 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 also things like farming changed dramatically. So mm. uh, things like artisan cheeses just almost disappeared, disappeared yes. during the twentieth century. They're starting to come back now, but cheeses back in the medieval period were probably you know had an individual kind of flavour depending on where they were made and what cows were and yeah totally, you know, totally. what time of yes. year it was you know whereas a lot of yeah if you buy basic things like basic cheddars today you'll you know you've got a pretty uniform flavor <laughs> or perhaps less so now in in, in the mm. last few years there has started to be quite a, a range of things and you know and there are some great places to go and pick up wonderful cheeses and, and so forth yeah the, i think what i think what becomes what well, another thing that really interested me about form of curry and more broadly medieval yeah. uh, english cookery is how a lot of it is familiar mm-hmm. and then there are just some of those things that have kind of they don't seem to make sense to us in terms of flavor profiles or at least initially yeah. they don't seem to and then it's about experimenting as well with them because i don't know whether your your listeners re- under know this but generally speaking when you look at a medieval recipe it doesn't really tell you um the quantities that are needed there are some exceptions here and there you know where where it does or, or give you ratios um but mostly it doesn't so it's about working that out as a as someone as a practical yeah, cook, if, as if someone I'm, who's, yeah, uh, who's yeah, in the kitchen, yeah. you will work it out for yourself. Yeah. Which is, yeah, I think we are familiar with the ancient uh, Roman apicius. The same yes. problem. And, yeah, it's exactly <laughs> that. It's just a bunch of ingredients. Yeah, it doesn't say how or how much. <laughs> you yeah, need and it doesn't. Yeah, and it doesn't say how long to cook things yeah. for. And and so and there are occasions I think when I've. When I've read things and I thought, oh, that's that's kind of killing the animal three times the way they prepare it, you yeah. know, it's like, and and, and they they're also big into grinding everything up into uh, into sort of minced mm. uh, capon, you know. Ah, they right. they t- they, a lot of things were minced up and and put into kind of uh, rice-based mixtures. Yeah, there's a lot of that going on that you see mm-hmm. in medieval cuisine. And they're just uh, yeah. enlivened by the spices or a little bit of sugar and things like that. So they had they had uh, rice already. So in, in the yeah, I mean mostly century. it's uh, in form of curry. There's one um, uh, actual rice recipe, mm-hmm. and there's but there are quite a lot of recipes that involve rice flour, and okay. so you you do see that. So a dish like blancmange, which we're familiar yeah. with is there's nothing like you know that that evolution happened much later probably i think i can't quite remember whether it was 18th or 19th century when what we would think of that sort of custody jelly type thing that's pretty revolting probably yeah. if i remember right but mm. blamange was nothing like that back in the 14th century blamange was um, a, a a mixture of grind rice and usually something like uh, 
chicken or capon that was ground as well and there may be spices and there may be some kind of um, sweet element or semi-sweet element so there'd be some sugar put in there um, you I, I have recreated some of these dishes at home and I was surprised actually when I did some experimenting with a, a dish that involved chicken ground chicken and sugar i thought oh, that's just not going to work but i did several <laughs> versions of it and the one that i enjoyed the most was the one with the, the high percentage of sugar in which was quite interesting so sometimes it, these these when you initially read them you think oh this is really odd and very medieval but yeah. actually it's just about um trying experimenting and seeing what works and you know, you yeah. you can. I mean, I've got I've got quite a wide palate, I suppose you could say. I I do enjoy lots mm, of different mm. types of food, um, from quite bland stuff to highly spiced stuff. You know, it just food does different things for me yeah. depending on the context. Yeah. But I think if you're fairly open-minded, yeah. you'll you'll find a, a lot of the stuff is is it's very eatable. It's very enjoyable. Some of it's a bit, you know. There are quite a lot of recipes that seem the same, you know, very similar, even within one yeah. cookery book, like Form of Curry, you think, oh, how many versions of that do we really need? You know, they only change them very slightly. <laughs> but there are some very interesting things going on with sauces. So you get a lot of um, quite, they use, they use vinegars or and verjuice quite a lot in their sauces. Yeah. Yeah, which we don't do a lot. No, although it's very big anymore. in Australia, isn't we, it? It's yeah, been yeah. it's it was kind of really ah, it kicked okay. off in uh, there about ten years ago. I forgot there was probably some famous cook or somebody that started to reintroduce uh. it. And of course, it's used in. I think it's used in rest, uh, sort of. Uh, I'm thinking of the Middle East, really. I think yeah, I think some yeah, more Middle East because like, the, the, uh, where I got the verjuice from was that Persia I purchased stuff, uh, was yeah. from. Uh, middle east shop in london actually when i was down there mm. um but yeah that's i mean verjuice isn't as isn't as uh, vinegary as vinegar but it has it, it reminds you of that but they certainly were into using vinegar as well and their wines as well that would be mm. put into some sauces weren't you know they weren't really the kind of it's hard to prove but they it doesn't seem likely that they were these round well-rounded wines that we tend to drink today so you would have a sharpness to them and we yeah. say that because they just didn't last they had most of the wines apart from some of the sweet wines, uh, which were really highly yeah. valued, but most of the wines uh, that were dry or dry-ish would have that came from areas in France would have been, I think, quite sharp, and they had to purchase them every year because they would just go off. So it doesn't really speak of the, yeah, the yeah, sort you of have to drink yeah, really really the depth of flavors that you get from a you know the wines that you can lay down for ten years easily in in, in today's yeah. yeah. <laughs> So yeah, I mean, so some of the a lot of the sources. That's one of the things that often gets said about the sources in medieval period, especially medieval England, is that they were really fond of vinegary sources, and it's said in a sort of disparaging mm. way. But when you actually get around to cooking them, and you realise that it it it's something you can enjoy it's and it's not that far removed yeah. from things that we eat today and use as condiments in so we we yeah. traditionally in britain mint sauce is you know eating with lamb it's essentially just you know yeah. minced minced um mints as in the, the plant the plant mint not 
Yeah. Mint, <laughs> mint. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's essentially mint ground up. That's better, isn't it? Ground up mint and a little bit of sugar and vinegar. And you know, we love it with lamb here. Yeah. I don't know whether you like it. I don't, I don't think it's a very exactly, particularly yeah. Greek thing. I don't know. But no, no, it's not. It's, no. it's actually exactly something that we've yeah. But, yeah. And so that's an that's an example of something that's at least in Britain we're very familiar with. And then you know you get other. I was thinking of mm. other um, trying to think. Well, even even a vinaigrette. You know, modern vinaigrettes are you know mm. they're just basically oil and, and vinegar, and they're, they're sharp. They're just they're no they're no sharper than the the yes. medieval sources. But I think I think perhaps what we're imagining is that all of the all of the the meat and everything that was that these things are meant to go with or the, the, the poultry, the, the yeah. swan or the, <laughs> the heron or whatever, but also <laughs> chicken and, and capon and, and all the other big meats. I think, I think we imagine that they're somehow swimming in this stuff, you know, swimming in vinegary sources. When I think mm. really what was happening is you're actually using them as we would use a condiment. So, I think that's what that's what we're yeah, seeing, really. Yeah. I yeah, I don't see why not. It would be any different in that respect. Yeah, you you would want to taste the meat. I mean, they were great cooks, and they had yeah, you know yeah. great big fires Definitely. cooking over big roast roasts and so on. You know, on spits and stuff. So it would be tasty anyway. You know, you have a highly skilled cook doing that <laughs> day in day out. So it would be a very tasty thing. Yeah. Yeah. Or you'd probably, yeah, you'd have some dog's body actually turning the, yeah. the spit, you? but it'd uh, yeah, be supervised yeah. by, you know, by. they, you know, and they would get shouted at if they got it wrong. You know, yeah. you can't present, especially in a, you know, in an elite kitchen like Richard II. You got to, this has got to be presented well to, to Richard and his guests. You know, yeah, exactly. And then the the sauces were the kind of the ending of, uh, you know, ending the finishing. Finishing the meal, like completing the dish itself, and make it more extravagant, more. Yeah, look, you. Look. I mean, you you get you do get surviving. Um, there are manuscripts that survive which actually contain um, historical uh, menus. So, for example, there is a, a document that um, dates to the period of towards the end of Richard's reign where. He was being entertained by Thomas yeah. Spencer, who was a favourite of Richard, and he entertained him. And this, so there's yeah. there's two menus that appear: one when he's actually holding the feast for the king, and then there's another one where the king is at his own table. So a little bit more, I guess, a slightly smaller event. It's just as as grand, to be honest. But they're bringing in all of these. Um, massive, big meats, as the French would call them, chagras. gras. So you've got your you know, your venison, mm-hmm. and you might have a boar's head or something like that. But you'll, it'll be served with other things as well. So you'll have uh, pottage, pottages, which just means anything cooked in a pot, and yeah. so that can be varied. But you will have sometimes you you get an idea that these sauces are being served alongside. It's about re- you have to read them yeah, carefully. Yeah. I mean, sometimes it doesn't really mention the sources, but when you read the recipe books, you realise when it comes to the sections for sources, you're uh, the cooks directing that they be served and eaten with a particular 
meat. So you, you serve that with venison and veal. Mm. You serve that with capons. You serve that with swan. And there are specific sauces for each of the roast meats. So they would have been appearing on the table for Richard and his guests to munch and enjoy. <laughs> <laughs> Although they wouldn't get to eat everything that he got to eat, he'd get to, he'd get the full three courses, as it were, because they had three courses in a meal. Whereas people that were lower down the ranking would either have just two of the courses or maybe just one of them. Mm-hmm. Okay, fascinating. That's th- something that yeah we don't consider too much. We don't know eight more than well not necessarily more but they had more variety so yeah and and if and if there are books that exist from the period sort of um that discuss the manners sort of table manners and and basically are treaties on on how to serve your lord you know one of the ones i'm thinking about is actually written in poetic form but it basically if we're Mm. to take those as being an accurate reflection of how all of the elite et. I mean, it might not be an accurate reflection. It might be sort of more ideal, sort of an ideal that was being propounded. But it seems that they were very, very elegant and what we would probably say quite fussy the way they were. They serve things, so things would be cutting very small little pieces, and then they'd be put on a trencher or, yeah. or put onto a spoon for the for Richard or whoever, the Lord to eat. Mm. So it'd all be very, well, I would, I would use the word dainty. It looks very dainty. So they're not, they're not grabbing chunks of meat, yeah. you know, sort of drumsticks and, you know, a side of yeah. venison and s- sort of stuffing it down them. That That's a mm. kind of, yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. That's my preferred way of eating. <laughs> yeah, that's a kind of yeah. It, it is funny the kind of ideas though that we we get fed, I suppose, through films and so mm. forth. You know, where we see yeah, popular people, yeah. Culture, yeah. Um, whereas it's very refined manners, and you know, some of this I'm sure was influenced by other countries as well. You know, but I I guess at the highest level we're talking about here, or mm. well, not necessarily the very highest. You would, I mean, the, the the poem I've just referred to talks about a lord, so it's not talking about a king. But yeah, that was still nevertheless very careful how things were meant to be to be served and so forth. So yeah, a king would get to see the whole array, the whole three courses and yeah. all the fancy things and would, if he wanted to, eat 
from each one, a small amount. Others, depending on which table they were sitting at, would only get to, would perhaps get to see some of these things passing, but they wouldn't get to to partake. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I suppose yeah, if you're the king as well and you have your favorites, you might give something to your favorites. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it depends who you're who you're entertaining, and uh, you know, you might have. Mm. I mean, quite often, I think what goes on a, a king isn't always going to be eating in front of sort of the whole of his household, which could be an awful lot of people. He'll be um, yeah. eating privately, as it were, in his own chamber, where there may be a few mm-hmm. you know, a few important people that day that he needs to speak to. But it doesn't mean that every time he sat down to breakfast yeah. or whatever, you know, he had swan brought in. And uh, there are such things as feasts, and uh, then there are more simple foods. And I, I, that's reflected in the form of curry as well, because... You know, you've got quite basic things. You know, you there's like something that one of my one of my favourite dishes. I think I have done this, and it's surprisingly tasty. Is um, I think it's trying to think of the, what the, it's called in Middle English. It's something like gruel efforced. So that means um, kind of uh, enriched gruel. So it's a gruel is based on on oats. Oh, great! A, an oatmeal, yeah. and right. this particular gruel is an oatmeal. So it's a kind of yeah. thick a thickened rich soupy porridgey type thing and this is served with meat it's is which is which wouldn't be you know the peasants would eat the gruel but they wouldn't eat meat if they cooked a gruel and they certainly wouldn't be using saffron to give it that sort of golden hue which saffron gives it and they wouldn't be spicing it up with the spices but yeah. for the king, he would maybe, you know, maybe he's feeling that he's got to show some penance or whatever, because they had to do penance too. He'd have <laughs> some posh gruel. Maybe that's something he he would eat, you know. Yeah, so you did something like that. So you cooked something like that yourself uh, and you found it very satisfying. Yeah, I did. Yeah, I, I'm going to, yeah, I'm, I'm going to do a, a, I'm going to put that on my, because I've got a YouTube channel and um, I will be, Doing yeah. that as one of the recipes, the posh. I'm calling it posh school, but it's it's a few down the list. The other, I've got a few other ones I've got to get through first of all, but really? I will be doing that. Yeah, it's 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 a very it's surprisingly rich because the broth stock that it's made with is you, I use um, bone marrow. Yeah, mm. so that <laughs> really gives a rich richness to the stock. And yeah. looking forward yeah. to yeah. watching the, the yeah. video. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I'm... and to say here to people that it's uh, your YouTube channel is uh, Monks Modern yes, Medieval. Yeah, I should have cuisine, said that. Yeah, right? it's Monks Modern yeah. Medieval Cuisine. Yeah. It's a kind of I've been doing it a few months, and I, I don't have the time to do more than one recipe a month. If I did have the time, I'd do more. But um, yeah, so I'm yeah. doing one of those a month, and yeah, Fantastic. it's we've done some interesting stuff so far. Yeah, I did some some yeah. I did some spicy sauces recently. Great. It's interesting for me as a somebody that you know I've, I've done quite a bit of work for other creatives, and you know, mm-hmm. and they've been able to produce some great interactive stuff for various clients and so forth. And as I mentioned, the Clive Nolan, he's done some fantastic stuff with with you know a little bit of my help. So it's actually nice though for mm-hmm. me. I, I have a creative side, and 
yeah, it's quite difficult learning the ropes, as it were, with producing YouTube videos because you know there's yeah, an awful lot to definitely. learn and you, there's an awful lot of mistakes to make. But yeah, it's a different way I of getting across. Yeah. The, you know, I, I am a mm. scholar basically. You know, I the nitty gritty mm-hmm. work that I do for my own research and when I because I still do write um, articles for ac- academic articles, even though I'm not yeah physically in a university anymore. Um, so all of that's very kind of, you know, robust research. And that kind of research is actually feeds into these more interesting creative outlets such as oh, yeah, videos. You know, you, you still have to have that underpinning what you're doing, but you don't necessarily yeah. have to bombard somebody with all of the um, <laughs> with all of the exactly. stuff. Exactly. You you do all the research and we get to see the tasty results. And yeah, things, yeah. Know, we can yeah. Uh, we can make them yeah, I, I think uh, yeah, so. That's... I think I, I kind of I'm hoping that what I'm doing with my videos and uh, to an extent my blog as well, maybe even more with the blog that I do, um, is actually bring a marriage of uh, being creative and enjoying food and experimenting with food, but also bringing in some history that's reliable. Um, sometimes, yes. you know, you, I've I've seen plenty of videos that are done about historical the medieval period and it's a bit light mm. on the history or not actually true it's, you know often it isn't accurate yeah. so you know because people work very quickly and they don't have the time to do that background research or misunderstand yeah, things yeah. that they read so i'm hoping to try and bridge that gap and you know i don't mean that as as a, in a disrespectful way I, I i do i like looking at the way people popularize medieval stuff i'm certainly not a purist Mm. but i but i do for myself i like to think that what you're listening to and watching is reflecting the actual real history and if it does differ from the manuscript then i then i feel it's important for me to say that and not just go ahead with it anyway, you know. And I, quite often yeah. in my, with my own case, I, I, I'm gluten intolerant, so I have to make things like pastry and stuff mm. that, you know, didn't exist back in the medieval period. So I have to yeah. do, if I'm going to eat it, of I course. need to cook with some modern um, <laughs> techniques as well. Hence, modern medieval cuisine, I think, as well. So <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Brilliant. Um yeah. So yeah, for for me, for me, you know, for me, it's also you know, I'm very curious about how people ate, and you know, it's it's part of the history, as I suppose. And I really want to explore the past and you know yeah. the tastes that yeah. people had and how they lived. And yeah, food is very uh, central to that curiosity yeah. about yeah. the past. I think, and uh, you know, know, knowing what they ate and how they ate, it, it's just fascinating. And we know that. The further we go to the past, the less we find in terms yeah, of recipes. Yeah. And it's just like decoding yes. and getting yeah. clues here and there, a clue here, a clue there. And again, the whole thing that people work tirelessly for years and years, uh, finding all these little pieces of information and assembling. I, I love yeah, it. Yeah, and I think like, the, yeah, it is, it's very, I think what's what I've enjoyed, even in the sort of two years that I've been doing it, you know, when I compare where I was initially where I could, you know, I read through the manuscript for Form of Curry and did an edition, a working edition and translation fairly quickly. That was a a relatively Mm -hmm. 
relatively quick thing to do. But here I am two years on, I'm still refining that translation because I've the research brings makes you change your view on things. You think, oh, so that doesn't mean what I thought it meant. And so you're having to yeah. build on your own research, but you're also uh, using other people's uh, previous studies as a foundation. You know, the more you read those, sometimes mm. that enlightens you. And sometimes you find yourself yeah. disagreeing with them, you know, what they wrote 30, 40 years mm. ago, and you realize that you're, you've yeah. got something to offer to move it on a little bit. So I think the, the history mm. of eating and food and recipes is something that's constantly evolving and developing. So we have ideas about things that are are needing to be updated, I think. That's definitely yeah. true. Um, and there Great. are yeah. a few myths about food. Uh, I'm sure you find mm. that, that there are ideas yeah, think, and you need yeah, to correct no, those yeah, as yes. well because they're not they're not based in anything really solid. What uh, your uh, <laughs> the one that you dislike the most? I don't know. Just what, <laughs> grind what, what? <laughs> like a myth um, uh, hmm. about medieval times or something. Is it like we said, eating big pieces of? <laughs> I don't. Yeah, <laughs> there is. The, there's like obviously the kind of image of um, people with a sort of chunk of meat in their hands you know you know yeah and and that even there is even evidence maybe even at a, a sort of lower echelon that you still people were they were uncouth necessarily you know so mm. there's that that's mm. got to be you know something that needs to change i think if i picked something a bit more um kind of a, a more of a detailed nitty-gritty thing i would say the thing that yeah. i find that's something that's being perpetuated is something about pastry that pastry was never eaten yeah. you know that's something uh -huh. that's often said you know it's said in books that are you know very very good books right, okay. but it implies that yeah. people never ate pastry and i just don't think the evidence supports that in some cases yeah, yeah in, in some cases pastry was a, kind of a, a container as it were for the what it was the filling that was important. So one mm. of them, one of my big, it's, it's not obviously I've not had it for very long, but it's a bugbear that I want to kind mm. of readjust yeah. our view of, of how pastry was made and eaten in the medieval period, and that's just come about from from really really getting back to the primary sources. It's only when you read those that you realise that they must have been eating some of some of the time mm -hmm. some of the pastry and because you because of the way it was made so yeah. that's that's kind of my yeah, yeah. little okay. detail that my my detailed bugbear i suppose uh, <laughs> no it's fantastic it's, it's so much detail here for something that obviously i haven't talked about in the podcast before so it's great to have such a nice uh, in-depth about the form of curry discussion about it um but um yeah you're writing a book as well now so yeah i am yeah it's uh it's the book is uh, the sort of working title is how to cook in the 14th century mm. and it is um it will essentially be an edition of the John Ryland's library form of curry that I mentioned. So yeah. that little tiny book, it's it's just that version of form of curry. Not it's not I'm not attempting to do a perfect um edition that combines all of the existing manuscripts. Yeah. You know, that's been done before, although it was done and they didn't know about the John mm -hmm. Ryland's one, which is which was a shame that they made that mistake. Yeah. And that was done just as an edition, and it's an academic book. 
what I want to do is present um, the the text if you want to read it in Middle English with a an easy to follow translation and a commentary on every single recipe. Yeah. And there is an uh, I've done a, a quite a comprehensive glossary, so every single ingredient, any equipment, any cookery term, mm. it will be explained. Um, so you'll those things will be explained as you read through the individual recipes. But if you want to go straight to the glossary and want to find out what uh, something means, then you, you can go, go there, there yes. as well. So I'm doing at the moment the way I'm doing it as well is that I'm made the decision it might get changed but i made the decision that the chapters um, will actually be split into uh, sections that make more sense to a modern reader so you'll have a chapter on for example vegetable dishes mm -hmm. and then there's a chapter on meat and uh, third game and yeah. offal and then there's one on uh, poultry and feathered game and then there's pasta and rice and then there's sweet dishes i can't quite remember yeah. the number there's 10 chapters altogether yeah, yeah. so that means i am actually not following the order of the manuscript mm. so that is a that is a something that i had to think about see if you were normally doing an acad a purely um uh, what they call a critical edition of yeah. a text you wouldn't do that no, so no. i'm making that it's not as a compromise but it's a way of actually being more accessible i think that I so that people that. Yeah. yeah, and you wouldn't you wouldn't normally anyway if you were doing an an, an edition of recipes, you know, a book with, where you're just giving um, the 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 Middle English and then you're giving the translation. You wouldn't normally offer extensive commentary that was about the, the context of each recipe. Yeah. So that's what I'm doing. It's not just it's not the kind of academic commentary. Though there's a little bit of that every now and again. There's bits about the language and mm. what does the 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 recipe title mean because often it looks like gobbledygook and people yeah. haven't understood what something has meant yeah of but, course uh, you know and but there's often i'll i'll talk about how it would have been eaten or when it would have been eaten or where this particular recipe appears in another cookery correct cookery collection maybe in france or maybe in other parts of europe um so that's the kind of thing i'm trying to do with this book and mm. Um, it's well, you know, it's it's well underway. It's just I'm a bit of a plodder. I kind of, <laughs> I can do some things fast, like the translating side of it's not the difficult thing that's yeah. taken all the time. It's the the extra research. So you know, you can think of something as simple as parsley, for example, and then the more you look into it, you realise, oh right, so you know, parsley was was not necessarily the same as we think of it today and, mm. and, and that kind of thing. So I'm trying to explain some of that as well. Yeah, so yeah. the idea is it's very detailed. It's not dumbing things down. There'll be lots of end notes if people want to read the end notes. But it is something that a non-expert, a non-specialist can pick up, read, enjoy it, and maybe have a go at recreating yeah the recipes and i've tried to incorporate that into the commentary as well wherever it's not obvious uh, where there's any confusion in the original language i've tried mm. to explain what it probably means so that there's um i mean some of them i will have by the time i finished it i'll have probably experimented with a, a quite a significant number of the recipes but um some of them i won't have done that um but I've developed an idea through practicing with other recipes about what is probably meant. And I've begun to understand terms better myself, you know, what yeah. a particular word means. 
and in terms of process. Fascinating, fantastic stuff. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to yeah. <laughs> see it on shelves and uh, read it myself. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it might be a while before it's out because these things don't, are not quick. But uh, no. uh, you know, it's I, and I'm kind of I have got someone interested, but I, I I've decided that this time writing this book, I want to um, have a full draft completed before mm. I make a formal before I go through the formal process of making yeah. a proposal to a publisher. So brilliant. Yeah. Good stuff. Thank you for talking to me yes. about uh, medieval English medieval cuisine and specifically about the form of curry. Yeah, uh, great. I hope it's been interesting. Yeah, yeah I, I hope certainly. I sent too many of your your listeners to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> oh, it's going to be brilliant. Yeah, fantastic. Thank you. Thank you so much. I hope you've enjoyed this latest episode of our archaeogastronomical adventures. And um, uh, if you want to help the podcast um, come out quicker and um, with more exciting stuff for you, please go to Patreon and um, help us there. I've been Thomas Dinas, and this was the Delicious Legacy Podcast. Thanks for listening. <laughs>